2: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted. This is two days in a row, and two days in a row, it's not Dave, he is skiving still. Uh, He will probably be back, hopefully next week, to talk about the games, and if we win all my games I'm in charge of, I'm taking credit. If we lose, it's Dave's fault for skiving. I have Carl with me. How are you doing, Carl? Fully present and correct and keeping up my uh,
3: relentless run of appearances, which I guess is, is better than both of you now since you skived off not too long ago. When did I off? Oh. Uh, I can't really remember which game it was, but I think we tried to give you like 100 points because you didn't turn up. Uh, this
2: sounds like a lie to me. No, I definitely, definitely did a couple of recordings without you, I'm afraid. I don't believe this. Because one... Not, neither of you do Discord without me, and all of these should be on Discord, so I feel I feel betrayed here. But anywho, we are here to look at Liverpool's next game, which is Bournemouth, Cal. Who do you want to start with, Liverpool or Bournemouth?
3: I want to start with Liverpool. It's positive at the minute, so why wouldn't we? Absolutely. Um. So our last game went alright, Cal it did, it did I mean, we could spend another half an hour on that game like we did yesterday but maybe we need to look a little bit more to the future but still going to take a load of positives from that I think Um, I wonder whether the main questions I suppose are going to be over if there are any changes from that team if there's going to be a change in approach from that team because we're away from home uh, and a couple of other bits but by and large you want to take as much from that game as you possibly can and uh, replicate it, not just this weekend against Bournemouth, but in pretty much all the matches that we've got left. I think it's really, really important that we don't just see that kind of excitement and energy and all that about the team against you know, Real Madrid from kickoff and Everton in the derby and Man United in a big game and Man City when we come back as well after the international break. We'll see that sort of energy again there, but we also need it in the Bournemouth and Leeds and Nottingham Forest sort of games, which is where we were dropping silly points earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true. It's definitely true. Obviously, the Palace game is still somewhat fresh in the memory, even though we had a a nice game in between that. But we we saw our season issues summarized really well in that Palace game. It was just dead. There was no tempo. Um, there was no quality, which is probably the main issue. Um, and that was obviously an away game. If it, it obviously our away form has been very stanky this season, and This is a way. It couldn't be much more further away, obviously, being on the South Coast. Um, But it is Bournemouth, and as you mentioned before we started recording, they only beat Merseyside teams and Merseyside Associated people Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa. But their home form is seemingly bad.
3: Uh, Very bad, yes. Bad is a good word to describe what Bournemouth's home form is. Uh, Their most recent home form matches, a massive defeat to Man City, draw with Newcastle, draw with Nottingham Forest, defeat to Burnley in the Cup, defeat to Crystal Palace, it's not good. Um, They've only won four matches at home all season long. And you're right, Aston Villa was the opening uh, home match of the season for them. He was managed by Gerrard at the time. They beat Leicester at home, who was managed by Brendan Rodgers, obviously. And then the two games against Everton in the Cup And in the League which they won So all Merseyside associated home victories One way or another Which we need to put a stop to
1: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch And those must have fan threads Well Over at our Anfield Index shop We've gone that extra mile When it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts Sweaters, hoodies and hats or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
2: We absolutely do, and if it's not us, it's down to Everton on the last day of the season, presumably in a relegation six-point, which might be more interesting, but we need top four. Um, so yeah, it is It is a weird one. I, I'll, I'll run down some Bournemouth things um, whilst we're getting into it. They obviously sit 20th at the minute. In the last five, uh, they have lost 3-1-1 and drawn one the draw was against newcastle but that was basically when i think everyone realized newcastle aren't scoring many goals or playing too well at the moment then they beat wolves um lost to city lost to arsenal in that mad game which is probably a good point of reference for us and brighton so it's three of the better teams in the league they lost to to be fair but their form does go further back than that um their team they played against Arsenal, as I mentioned, is their most recent game and probably most relevant to us, was Neto, Adam Smith, uh, Metham, Stevens, Sanisi, Zamora as a back five, uh, Semenyo on the left wing, who they signed in January from Bristol City, I believe, uh, Philip Billing, Rothwell, Uatara. Uh, I will go with, and Solanke. Um, now, Carl, obviously, they are struggling. But they have, since January, they obviously got new owners and spent quite heavily towards the end of the window. They have seemingly improved a bit in performance, maybe not so in results, but I do feel like they still have a chance of survival, but they need the signings to explode quicker than they possibly are, but they they do look like fun signings at the same time.
3: Oh yeah, they they can definitely still stay up. I mean it's ridiculously tight down there at the minute. The bottom five are only separated by two points. I mean it's it's literally changing who is bottom, who is in the relegation zone every weekend at the minute. So there's no panic there at the moment, I wouldn't say, other than if they let, you know, two wins go to four, five in a row, that sort of thing. I mean Leicester are now on the verge of being sort of hauled back into it now. Uh, as well as a sixth side, because they've lost three in a row and other teams just pick up one win here and there, and it, it really does close that gap. I don't think Bournemouth will be like massively bothered about getting three defeats in a row if it's uh, Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool that they lose to. Those are not mm-hmm. really the games that they're going to be saying, you know, we, we need to get results here, otherwise we're going to be in trouble. But the games before that were against Newcastle and Wolves, and they probably would have targeted, let's say, at least don't lose those two matches, which they didn't do. So I think that they will feel that they are on track, more or less, um, in terms of the last few weeks of the season. And again, once once the Liverpool game's out of the way, then you're looking at Aston Villa, Fulham, Brighton. It's it's a tough run in terms of those teams' recent form, but I think that they would have identified that three spell, uh, three-match spell as a more likely one to pick up maybe three points, maybe four points, rather than the the Liverpool-Arsenal-Man City kind of three matches in a row. Um, the signings that they've made, different impacts, I think it is fair to say, um, even across the ones from from Summer. And uh, I think you're right, they probably need a little bit more from a few of them, but they've also chopped and changed system quite a bit. Like, they tend to play uh, against the bigger sides to back five all the time, and then against teams who they think that they can attack a bit more, a bit more of a 4-2-3-1. So by that regard and how they've done their, their lineups against you know the likes of Arsenal and City but even in games earlier on in the season under Gary O'Neill I think that we we can expect them to be that very very flat five and then a four so it's going to be difficult banks to get through in terms mm-hmm. of numbers and that does mean that we'll obviously have to be playing very very wide and stretched whenever we can very very quick in terms of recycling the ball and switch and play and so on and so forth
2: yeah, and I'll bring it back to Liverpool Liverpool, because I realised I did kind of move it onto to Bournemouth accidentally there and we said we were going to start with Liverpool. Obviously, you mentioned that they play five, a 5-4-1 five, type thing. Obviously, United do play deep and it's a very different game because one, it's at home and United v Liverpool is very, very different to Liverpool against Bournemouth. Um, how do we approach this game? Because obviously we have... Madrid in the middle of the week but then it's the international break um, obviously Fulham, the Fulham game got postponed due to the FA Cup so we have somewhat of a break but we, it depends how we feeling about the Real Madrid game I suppose I mean do we go into this thinking about rotation or do you think with having no weekend game after the Madrid game we can kind of just play strong in both of them uh, you gotta go as strong as you possibly can in this match.
3: Absolutely cannot mm-hmm. take anything into Real Madrid into account for this lineup. Um, it would just be just be reckless to be perfectly honest. I mean, you said it even on on the podcast yesterday. If we didn't beat Bournemouth after the seven nil against Man United, it would feel like a waste. It would feel like it didn't mean as much as it possibly could do. Uh, if you if you gain back that ground, gain back that sort of sense of not invincibility because we've not been that good, but a sense of being able to beat the better sides. And then you give it up against the team bottom of the league. You just cannot. There's there's no there's no scope for Liverpool to drop points here. They have mm-hmm. to go as strong a side as possible and then worry about Real Madrid because the the likelihood. Let's be honest. The likelihood of us coming back against Real Madrid, even though they're not scoring at the minute and they're not playing all that well, and we scored seven in the last game, it's still minuscule. I, I think there's fifty. A hundred times less chance that we come back against this than we did uh than we were going back into the second leg against Barcelona, for example, yeah, just not comparable situations, so as far as I'm concerned, it has to be whatever you think is the strongest lineup you have, that's what you play. you can't go anywhere else with this match
2: now there's rotation in terms of just resting players between games because there's so many of them. But we do have a few players who have obviously just come back from injury and some players who simply don't perform when they're overplayed. I mean, Ibu's probably the injury example. And I'd say Henderson, in particular, with how well he played against United, he seems to do well either in big games this season. We saw it in the Derby and obviously the United game uh, in recent examples. But... I think he's also played well when there's been a break in between games. So overplaying him, I think it does revert him back to his poor form. So they're probably the two positions I'd want to discuss with you is right centre-back. Obviously, Ibu is a million times the first choice there. But he has just come back from injury and he does have a history of injuries. So in terms of the long term of the season, it is this one where we bring in Matip, I presume? Uh, I guess it would be matter, but I mean,
3: this is a this is a fairly rare situation. We actually get the full week between matches here, so I don't think overplaying them, Man United and Bournemouth is is that much of an issue. To be honest, um, you know they could have had uh, a couple of days off after the match, then a, a real recovery day in training, and then you start doing your build up towards the next game, which is Bournemouth. So again, I think if you're considering protecting some of those players. One, you got to consider whether Canate is, you know, definite to go away with France, given some of the injuries on the international break. Presumably, yeah. it is. but then maybe you rest him for the Champions League, if that's the case. If you really want to protect him that way, uh, or. I'm going to use the word fabricate. I, I don't think that that's the right one to use, but who cares? Let's fabricate some injuries across the international break because, quite frankly, who cares? If it's got to be a protection of a player, then let's make sure that they get protected in the right way. Stub some imaginary tools, shall we? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, a twisted ankle can be a very painful thing and not always show up on a scan, you know? So um, I, I don't think, even like with a Henderson, let's say Klopp really wants Henderson in the lineup again for this game. I think that that's okay in terms of match game time and and gap between these fixtures. Again, if you're going to take him out of either one, take him out of Real Madrid if you think that he's part of our best lineup. I know if Dave was here, he'd be saying, but he's not part of our best lineup,
4: therefore
3: He should be playing against Real Madrid if we rotate. And that's fine as well. I'm saying play who you think is your strongest side here. I don't think that for the Bournemouth game we need to be taking people out because of a fatigue concern. I think it's all about who's in very very good shape. Obviously, we've had a few knocks, a few people coming back to full fitness. I think it has to be about how you want to attack them and who you think has given you the best opportunity. Like if you want real pacing in behind and you want aerial ability, then maybe bring in Jota again and and leave Cody Gakpo on the on the on the subs bench for later on in the match. But if you want I don't know um, real box to box power and tackling in midfield and all of that, maybe Butt stitch has to play instead of. it's Elliot or whether it's Henderson whichever one you feel is going to give you that best approach
4: hello I'm here to annoy you I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff we've got EPL Index as well which covers the entirety of the Premier League and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4pm, Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Now, who do you think will bring the best best approach in midfield? Because 7-0 magical, but there is still that discussion point there. And in a preview podcast, we have to discuss it. So I, I'd agree. If, if the plan is just win Bournemouth at all costs, which it bloody well should be in the Real Madrid game also itself, Ebu starts at centre-back. But midfield I'd say Henderson's best game of the season by far, um, best game in a little in a long while probably, and I'd say that was Elliot's best game period for Liverpool. Um and Fabinho's obviously looking back to somewhat like Fabinho of um peak years. So do do you just roll with them three or do you think we bring a Basatic back in? Um, Curtis Jones has reappeared out of the wilderness Klopp always, uh, yeah. Klopp always loves bringing Naby Cater in randomly uh, very randomly at times so there is options there but whether they're the right options I mean, what, what do you reckon? Uh,
3: from a confidence and team building point of view I'm kind of inclined to leave it the same as it was Um, I said a few, I don't know, weeks or months ago, we were having a discussion about Henderson. And I think we were having a discussion at the time about the right side of midfield spot. And I said I didn't want to see him there anymore. And I said that I think if Henderson's going to play, the left side one is the only role that he suits best. Now, the problem there, as again, if Dave was here, he would be pointing out, is that he doesn't stay where he's supposed to. And that left-sided role is a very much more disciplined role positionally. It's you mm-hmm. know, You've got to be able to support and you've got to be able to press uh, in the right areas in that channel quite high up at times, but by and large, that's the one which sits alongside Fabinho or whoever's playing as the six and doesn't just go wandering off to the other channel, doesn't just go wandering off into the final third. They've got to be able to cover behind Robertson and so on and so forth. And that's what Henderson's not been very, very good at. So I do think that he did aspects of that better against Man United, but doing so 90 minutes long is a problem for him doing the the covering in that channel and stopping the crosses coming in, as we mentioned in yesterday's pod against Anthony, is a problem for him. So there's still like quite a lot to be fixed there if he's going to play that role anywhere near regularly. But that said, against Bournemouth, do we think that that's going to be the biggest problem that we face? Well, Uratara's is probably better than Anthony. So well, yes, <laughs> but I think that <laughs> of the runs off the ball. I think that the big threat from Bournemouth is one going to come from Philip Billing who's runs from deep and joining up with Solanke in attack they're very very difficult to track very very important to stop one way or another or the supply line has to stop like you say Otara is a pretty handy player on the ball I I also like Jaden Anthony I think he's a really good player he usually comes off the bench and plays one side or the other but Robertson looks like he's in really good shape again at the minute um so you would back him to to stop Atara or whoever you know in a one on one situation or across the the, the peri- period of a game. so I think I'm inclined to leave the midfield three the same for this, for the start of this match. You also got to remember that although Stefan Basich has done like really well in a short sp- space of time, he's done really well by measuring him up against how the midfield was playing before, not by Liverpool's greatest midfield of the last couple of years not by where mm-hmm. a starting central midfielder for Liverpool should be in terms of his consistency of short-range passing. Sometimes he's obviously a little bit loose with it. Um, the decision-making of turning into trouble sometimes is is not quite there yet. All the normal things that you would expect of a teenager just making his way into the game, right? None of these are a problem, but they're also not of the absolute elite-caliber level that Liverpool's midfielders need to be. So I don't think it's a terrible thing that he's out of the team for a couple of games Just so that you know that's reinforced to him, he carries on learning, he you know isn't have this massive expectation thrust upon his shoulders that he has to be a man of the match in midfield every single game. We've been there before, it's not ideal, and we don't really need to be in a position right now with this squad where we have to do that. So, I think it's okay if he doesn't start this match, probably keep him involved and coming off the bench, Curtis Jones as well, like you say. But I do think Harvey Elliott was. Pretty excellent against Man United on and off the ball, so he deserves to be in the team. Is the is the easy answer there as well?
2: Yeah, I, I have no doubt about Elliot. I think he just got a roll with him. As I said, I think that was his um, that was his best um, performance in a Liverpool shirt. My only issue with Henderson is that I said in the intro to that question, he just seems to not be able to put good performances in a row, and I think. I think the UP lad said it, when he played well for England, it was off the back of a long break. Obviously, the United game wasn't off a long break, but um, was it the Everton game where he missed four games or something like that? And then he played quite a bit better than he had. So I think there is um, actual stuff behind the theory in that. So I think if we don't want to overplay him and want to safeguard from him being poor, I think we may have to rotate that. but. And the other thing is, you mentioned Bournemouth threats there, and in terms of the game, um, obviously Hamid triori can come back from injury. I, I looked at Premier injuries there, I think you said it was like 25%, and obviously there's basically a full week left. Um, so he could come back in, You could then they could move Philip Billing back. So that is a big, powerful midfield, and they will focus runs down the middle. And even at our best, I think you've alluded to this in the past as well, Tracking the runners from the middle has always been an issue, even when we were the best team in the world. <laughs> so I don't think that's a strength of Henderson. And if he's playing that more defensive side, it will become a much bigger issue. Um, but I think the only one who is probably better defensively in that role would probably be Basitich but as you said, standards. In there. And Nabi Keita, who has disappeared again after probably get, should have got a red card against Palace. So it's limited options. I'd be almost tempted to throw Nabian, in, but he's gone missing. But then their midfield is massive compared to our midfield, so it's a, it's a tough, tough one to judge. Because if you do, if you don't play Henderson, they'll probably out physical us. But if you do play Henderson, he may be loose with his defensive work if they're just going to power through the middle.
3: I don't think we have a perfect solution in midfield in the squad right at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. and That's that's <clears throat> fair enough to say and is something we just have to deal with right? basically up until the end of the season. That's not just against Bournemouth but against probably all the other sides that we're going to play as well. Sorry, I halted mid-sentence there as I've just seen it started snowing randomly.
2: Well, I was not expecting that today. There you go. Yes, we have a yellow snow warning up here as well and it's um, blue skies. So the weather people like to me. <laughs> But anywho, Liverpool's midfield. Um, yeah, it's a strange one. I think he will probably just roll with uh, with the same lads. But it wouldn't surprise me if he does rotate um, the left side one just to maybe protect Henderson from him from himself, really. Um, anything to tinker up front, obviously. But all of them getting two goals there, so it, it's kind of an easy decision to roll with them. But we have seen um, Jota get a, get a start recently. Um, and in rot- and getting back into the rotation, obviously Bobby's um, just come back from injury as well. Could be part of the rotation. Um, how, how do you think? How do you think our forwards line up with their back eight hundred or back five <laughs> to be more exact? <laughs> um, but do you think Jota or Gakpo in terms of how they play? Because you could probably get at physically, um, whereas Stevens and the other one is escaping M- Metham, Um Stevens, especially, big physical lad. Mm.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, I think all of them are. mean mean, is not like the biggest necessarily, but he's, he's pretty solid. He's, he's very combative, let's say. So okay. mm-hmm. it's not really going to be one that I would throw Darwin through the middle and say, "Go on, you know occupy all three of them," sort of thing. Because I think have a scrap, lad. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I think what would happen is either everything would get headed away by them, or he's going to knock someone out. So I don't really want either of those things to happen. To be perfectly honest, I think it would be a frustrating afternoon for him. So either we keep it the same or I would say Jota in for Darwin from the start for this one, from the left hand side either way. Um Smith at right back, right wing back, right right back behind a wing back, whatever they line up as playing. Um he, he's okay, like he's he's fine as a one on one defender, but he's not electric going forward, he's not sensational defensively, he's not the quickest. So I think Maybe if we're looking at Jota getting back towards uh looking a bit sharper in the last game, um having a few moments on and off the ball where he looks like he might be starting to get there if he's got, you know, another week behind him. Hopefully he's another big step towards looking like a decent forward again. And that might be a good avenue for us, to be honest, if he's able to make those lovely little ghostly runs that he does sort of towards the far post, getting in between two and three defenders for little headers and rebounds and all that kind of stuff that he used to do when he scored goals, which was um, 11 months ago now. I would like to see him score before he gets to the year, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this is maybe one which suits him, to be honest. It's it's going to be like a really packed and crowded sort of defensive third, let's say, for Bournemouth for a lot of the game you would expect. So Jota is maybe, other than Salah, now the the best of the wide forward bunch at just appearing in spaces and them not really tracking his runs, uh, Darwin's obviously a lot more formidable, and I think that that naturally attracts attention to him. And Diaz is kind of you know all movement, all all speed, all attracting all the attention all the time. But Jota,
2: Dribble forty yards,
3: <laughs> Jota just kind of appears places. You kind of don't notice him for you know three or four minutes at a time, and then all of a sudden he's there missing one from a yard out at the back post, and then heading in a ridiculously. Difficult chance from seven yards, while he's twisting backwards, sort of thing. So, he's he's quite good for these sorts of matches and these kinds of um, scenarios. I think, even if he doesn't start this game, I think he's probably one of the ones who has a big role to play off the bench.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I just do want a roll with the new lads up front or the new three up front. Um, just because there's, well, all there's, the
3: there's also the part of that which says like after they all score two goals, you don't. Yes. Want is, you know?
2: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It, the word is rotated, Cal. But no, I, you, you do you do roll with the three the lads who just battered United. And if it doesn't click on that date, as you mentioned, we've got options on the bench. Um, let, let's move on to Bournemouth before we get into the actual duels within the game. And you kind of mentioned it already. Not in the greatest form, Um I'll go through their team again that uh, lost to Arsenal. And that was Neto Smith, Meffen Stevens, Sanisi, Zamura, uh, Semenyo, Billing, Rothwell, Uatara, and Solanke. And I'll go through their injured players as well, just so people know who's missing. Uh, David Brooks, obviously, with his um, cancer in recent years. No uh, time period on that, but fair enough with the lads. Stanila, Stanislas, can't say words today. Um, Lloyd Kelly, who would be a starter. Zabani, who was a big signing. I know you and Dave um, were surprised he ended up at Bournemouth. Um, he is 25%, as is Lloyd Kelly. Uh, Marcus Tavernier, uh, 25%. Jefferson Lerma, 25%. Hamid Traore, 25%. Matthias Vigne... Suspe-Rigay? I don't know who that is. But uh, Premier Injuries always goes with the full name. Um, I've never heard of that person. But anywho, that's a good few starters, I would presume. Triori, Lerma, Tavernier, and then one of the centre-backs, he'd probably say is is the starter in there. Or maybe both of the centre-backs, to be fair, although that that, wouldn't they all be left-footed, and then I would implode. Um, Yeah, so that's a lot of starters missing for them. Yes, it is. And also,
3: I'm going to give you a metaphorical slap upside the head on behalf of Dave uh, because Vinia is the Uruguayan left back that he has been waxing lyrical about for some time. Um, oh, a couple of World Cup appearances, and who I think he was very frustrated. Ended up at Bournemouth as well. So there you go. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, anyway, not playing, so we don't really care about him today. Uh, sorry, Dave. That's just the way it goes. I don't he think will he'll be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they'll um, change too much from the Arsenal lineup. To be honest, I mean, it's obviously they they lost the game in the end, but. Remember, they were very, very close to getting a decent result out of the match. A 2 2 draw up until the 97th minute, and they were 2 0 to the good. And if we're being completely honest, at an hour, they should have been 3 0 up at the very least. They had it must have been three counter attacking situations where they were 2 on 1, 3 on 1, and 2 on none. Just the goalkeeper. It just had to be a decent pass uh, across the pitch, and then Solanke and I think it was Atara coming in behind him, kind of got in each other's way. One of them had a shot. Ramsdale made a, a decent one on one save, to be fair, but they should have worked that much better. So it was just like, you know, two against one and you can square the ball. There was obviously no communication there. It would have been 3 0 and game over uh, by the hour mark, you would imagine then. So they are a very, very dangerous counter attack inside when they set up this way. They do have really, really good pace, not from not from Smith and, and Zamura quite so much, but Zamura is fairly fast, to be fair. But the, the yeah. wider forwards, Zatara, Semenyo, obviously Solanke is not rapid, but runs hard, let's say. And Philip Billing then joining from deep. Joe Rothwell, I think, is a good player as well. And their centre-backs can all play really, really good long switches of play. That's something to watch out for, because Liverpool do, at times when we're, you know this season especially, not... 100% concentrated, not sensational with the high press after we lose possession, all that kind of thing. Teams have been able to play through us and play beyond us very, very quickly. So you would ho- you would hope again that Canate, uh, Van Dijk in the lineup, both better, both quicker, both more physical than Saliba and Gabriel, just to use the comparison of that match, and they'll be able to deal with those counterattacks. But like I say, we've been really susceptible to that kind of play at times this season. So something will need to be far, far better at either stopping the balls over the top or making sure we're tracking those runs uh, with the recoveries from midfield as well. Um, the rest of Bournemouth's lineup I mean, they might have spells where they have like, a bit more possession and all the rest of it, but you would imagine they're going to be kind of fine to sit off, stay compact as much as possible and see uh, quite a lot of possession. I mean, Arsenal had 80% possession, which is outrageously high but that is skewed by the fact that Bournemouth scored after nine seconds so they immediately (laughs) had something to hold on to and that's how they played so that's that's you know a really really big skew on that possession statistic from that match um on that goal from the from kickoff basically I guess we will hope that Liverpool have learned their lesson and and well sorry learned Arsenal's lesson and be just a bit aware of where the runners are coming from because they overloaded the left went to play it that way and then switched turned around sort of thing and played it right instead and it was a one on one cross uh, and even then they still, Arsenal should have cleared it it was a bit of a mess to be honest but
1: mm-hmm.
3: very very well worked from uh, Billing and co
2: If we lose the coin toss can we criticise John Henderson? Is that what we're saying here? You can criticise whoever you want mate <laughs> yeah, I'll give Dave ideas um, No but let, let's look at let's look at some individuals on their team, I mean you mentioned a few of them in in a, in a list there Um Neto's their captain. I did not know that till I listened to a podcast the other day. I that just seems weird to me that a random goalkeeper from Spain becomes their captain. <laughs> but I suppose he's quite experienced. But it's just random. But no, he seems like an all right goalkeeper. Um, I like Neto. Oh, he's not amazing, but you know he's a good overall yeah. Brazilian goalkeeper. Exactly, just it's, it's like. F- four evol- Pokemon evolutions away from Allison. <laughs> but let's let let's look at the back line because obviously they've changed recently from a four to a five in the back line and I think it I think that is probably their better fit, especially if they get Lloyd Kelly back who is obviously half left back, half centre back at times as well. I think it suits Sanisi who the early parts of the season, probably more the Scott Parker parts of the season, which was like three games, he he kind of got monstered, but I think he's growing into it. And and Metham and um, Stevens, I don't think are the greatest centre backs, but I think a back five certainly works for them. And the full and the wing backs now, um, but Sinisi obviously it seemed like a big get because he was in the Argentinian squad if I remember correctly when they signed him. But I think a back three, he, it should probably suit him. And if they get um, Kelly and Zabani back, it, it might up the quality a bit there. But yeah, what, what, what do you make of Sunisi?
3: Yeah, I, I think he's a decent decent player. I think he was a good sign for them. And I think being in the back three definitely suits him more. He played in the back three beforehand as well. Um, that's mm. usually where he looks a little bit more, more comfortable. But I think for... for now, and then going forward, let's say Bournemouth do manage to stay up. I think he's a really good building component for them, like a decent age, 25. He's not going to be, you know, in the in the last couple of years of his contract. He's someone they can build around. And then when you add in uh, Ilya Zabani as well, like you say, there's there's a really good base that they're putting in, in place there. Um, I mean, Neto being captain is... Random. Odd, but it is random, but it's I, it, I'm more surprised that just because he obviously joined them not too long ago, to be perfectly honest, mm. and joined obviously in the summer, and then just became captain for, for whatever reason, so that's...
2: I thought it was Lloyd Kelly
3: myself, <laughs> I just thought it was a bit random. Maybe he's one of the uh, vice-captains or something, I, I, yeah. I think Adam Smith wore captain's armband I think at the beginning of the season, I seem to remember, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he got taken off him, not really sure. Obviously, okay. not covering or clo- covering uh, Bournemouth closely enough these days. So I'll have to up that. Huh? Um, I well, think <laughs> I think Bournemouth will go down, and I hope that that doesn't see them lose. You know, a big chunk of these pretty decent players that they have brought in. You know, Atara and even like Lewis Cook should be someone who stays there. He's been in and out of the side this season, but Vinio's on your. What play. about Lewis Cook? Yeah, I mean he's. They've got quite a good squad there. I think if they were to survive, they'd be, you know, a mid-table team for next season if they can still add a couple more pieces. Mm. Um, you know, they, they they started off the campaign. Don't forget playing McKeever for more up front, and then you know Salanki started Very coming true. to the side and trying to play the two of them and all that kind of thing. So it's been a a season of of growth and progression as you would expect with a new club. They did have the upheaval with not just replacing Scott Parker and Scott Parker telling the entire squad you're not good enough to stay up this season. Uh, you lads are shy. <laughs> yes, yeah. but then also the takeover, like you said. So it is, it is a very big season of change uh, at the club and I think they'll fall short just by a couple of the other teams getting their act together a little bit late on. Uh, I
2: think you know, Deitch mm-hmm. will probably do enough on home soil for Everton. Southampton, I, I thought... I feel like... Sorry, I feel like if they had their January window in the summer, I feel like they probably would stay up. Yeah, but it's kind of a bit. Uatara has obviously started off quite well, but the others probably need a bit more settling in. It too.
3: Yeah, possibly so. I mean, you know, it's it's always going to be a bit hit and miss signing people in January, and even like you look at Mm -hmm. Cody Gakpo had a very very difficult start because Mm -hmm. after the World Cup and joined a new club, and the fact that that club were playing absolutely terrible. Well these are new players coming to a new club who are bottom of the league, so it's even worse. You know, it's it's a difficult kind of transition. So I I think that they'll fall short by a bit of a lack of goals and just a bit of the fact that they're not as defensively tight as the other teams down there. I mean, you know, we, we talk about them being hardworking and physical and all the rest of it. But Bournemouth have got easily the worst defensive record in the league. I mean, even if you take out the nine that Liverpool put past them, they're still in the bottom three for relegation zone. Uh, Relegation zone. They're still in the bottom three for goals conceded this season, and that's just with one match removed. So, it's it's a a big issue for them, and not something that Gary O'Neill has been able to fix. But you know, if they if they try to attack their way in those matches that we mentioned earlier in the games against mid-table to bottom half sides, maybe they've got enough quality to win quite a few of those fixtures. More attacking variety in their game, for example, than Everton do right now, because, you know, Mister Lewin mm-hmm. don't have that many attacking options, sold someone in attack and didn't sign anybody to replace him. At least Bournemouth haven't made those kind of self-inflicted mistakes. They've had a go.
2: Yeah, and before I interrupted, you were going to mention a few of the other teams there. I presume Southampton... Who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Southampton yeah, but Everton leads West Ham-Leicester. I think... Maybe Everton aside, because that club is just weird, I'd say the other ones just do have better starting 11s, it's just they seem to not be able to click. Whereas Bournemouth, you do look and you think he's a championship player, he's a championship player. Ooh, he's exciting but he's quite young. Etc. If they do get relegated, and it isn't if as we keep saying, I think a season in the championship, and it has to be a season, because we've seen teams get stuck down there, like well, I was going to say Norwich. Norwich never gets stuck down there, but might, might do this season. But, say a Watford or whatever um, do get stuck down there, and you see Ismail Assar kind of getting, just becoming stagnant in the Championship. So, if they can keep this team and then come back up if they do go down, I think that might have a a very good long-term advantage.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've had the same argument with Southampton, haven't we, as well, with their players, because they signed so many young ones with so little experience to their name, people like Lavia and Bazzuno and whoever else, you could argue that if they can keep them together a season playing in the championship, they'll be much, much better prepared for when they come back up afterwards. So the same can be said about plenty of Bournemouth's players, if they can keep them together, because there's certainly less of a uh, domestic, shall we say, collection of the younger players that they've signed compared to Southampton. Um, might not be the biggest issue. No, I, I assume they've not signed people like, you know, I don't know, Sinesi or whoever with, with clauses that they can leave or whatever if they do go down. So it could be one that they they just can uh, absorb for a year, but I'm sure their preference is to try and stay up anyway.
2: Yeah, they can just loan them to the French team, they own as well. So why not? Send, send all of them home there for a year, and then when Bournemouth come back up, you can go back to Bournemouth. Um, let's go through a couple more players just before. I ask you about the manager, and then we'll get into the specific game. Obviously, Uatara... Uh, was it Was it Reams? Oh, I can't remember. The French team. Was it Reims? I can't remember. Who did, who, who did they sign him from, and who does the owner? Uatara? Yes. They signed him from Lorient. Lorient, not Reams. I apologise. I am not... I haven't not got that tab open. But um, obviously, they've got that connection there, and signed him from Lorient. Um... Uh, but uh, obviously started off quite well, looks like a fun player. Um, is he is he their main threat or would you still say someone like a Solanke who obviously used to be kind of a figure of fun, but also people seem to like him at Liverpool? Um, but he certainly did very well in the Championship for Bournemouth, but he's not really set it alight in the Premier League for Bournemouth, um, Solanke. But would uh, would Uatara be your main threat or would you say a Solanke? I wouldn't say Solanke, no. Solanke plays an important role for them in terms of like hold-up
3: and you know quite, quite a hard worker and as an outlet and all that, but I don't genuinely think he's a, you know, a Premier League-level striker or certainly not mid-table or above. Um, I, I do think he's of a, a lower calibre than that all around, which is not to say that he doesn't offer anything to them. Um, I, I think that they're better players, Hamotroyo when he's fit, um, playing just off the forward line quite often, uh, I mentioned before Jaden Anthony, I quite like. I think uh, Marcus, mm-hmm. Burnley, once he sort of found his feet early this season, had a really good run as well. Um, yeah, uh, the wide forwards are where I think their main danger comes from, on transition play, counters, and just when they do have spells of, of better build-up play. They're quite tricky. They're you know, technically really good. They are happy to try and take on their man and little cutbacks or... Fierce crosses into the box, that kind of thing, for for Slanky and so on to attack. So I think that their main threat or their most consistent threats are going to come through those players. It might be Slanky on the end of them, of course, but you you stop the problem where it is, not where it
2: ends up. Yeah, absolutely. And we've kind of mentioned the midfield and passing. I won't talk about them because Philip Billing and... Lermer, etc. I know nothing of Rothwell other than he was a free transfer. Um, but um, we, we've we've seen those lads in the Premier League for years and years by now. Um, Gary O'Neill obviously took over in very difficult circumstances when Scott Parker said the entire team and club should go die, um, basically. And now Scott Parker's the Bruges manager somehow. Uh, <laughs> but um, Gary O'Neill obviously had that mad run to begin with, where it seemed like. It was just going to be the perfect fit. Possibly took too long giving him the permanent position whilst the ownership was obviously changing. Then did give him the permanent one. And it's obviously not going sparkling well because the 20th. But considering expectations, I think everyone had Bournemouth going down. And he is a rookie manager, obviously. I think you either stick with him and give him the championship season... Are you look at panicking now, but I think you'd rather just stick with him and see what the crack is.
3: Yeah, I can't imagine that they appointed him thinking you have to stay up. It would be... Yes, exactly. A bit bit weird, wouldn't it? Um, I think, was it the end of November that he he fully took over, let's say? So their fixtures since then... I mean, if it was after mid-November, like literally the 15th, he's won once since then. 12 games, so that's that's not mm. ideal is it, after being a appointed permanent manager so I, again, I can't imagine that they sort of said, right, we'll give you the job, you've got to stay up though, you know anything less is absolutely terrible um, they must have known that it was a huge, huge risk, because like all the things you've just said, basically uh, no experience, no stature within the game as such as a, as a manager, no real sway on players who were going to be coming in in January, perhaps, all that kind of thing so you've got to be self-aware enough to say yeah maybe he's a good coach and he's got us a bit of togetherness and all the rest of it but across the course of what was still going to be five six months at the time is he really going to have enough maybe or maybe not so i imagine assuming it's not a total car crash and they end up like you know nine points adrift of everybody else or something like that He probably does enough if he's close to surviving to stay in the job. Maybe they already have their own ideas. Maybe they've already told him when he signed, like, you're going to have it up until this point, and then we're getting in whoever we want, but you can see if you can keep us in the top flight or whatever it is. But I would assume that they are giving him a realistic opportunity for the job full-time. And again, the same applies for him, to be fair, as we mentioned for the players. If he does kind of okay, but they go down, one more year in the in the championship uh, obviously in that case he would have to start very very quickly and show good results because otherwise they would replace him pretty fast um, it, mm-hmm. it might prepare him an awful lot more you know he's he's had a really good uh, grounding in terms of a coaching career he was at liverpool of course for a bit um, mm-hmm. he was very very highly spoken of as a coach
0: I don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide <laughs> this is what i used to tell myself before i hooked up with libertyshield.com visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout
3: in the slightly out of the spotlight in the championship which has much more regular games obviously um, you you really have to work very well and get a, a grip of your group very quickly in that league if you're going to come back up so it might not be the worst thing for him in, and his coaching career as well, but like I say, if you go down to the Championship and then you don't start really well, teams who expect to come up
2: will be in you by October, November. And that's the thing. I think the Championship, you can always recover from a bad start. I mean, look at Middlesbrough this season. Obviously, we were in... The, I think they were actually in the relegation zone when Wilder got sacked and Michael Carrick got them up to third and yeah. on the tails of Sheffield United. People so, did the same, did with it, Forrest? Yes, exactly, exactly. So the championship is obviously a mad league, but you can kind of recover from anywhere in any position, um, as long as you give people enough time. And and you look, if you sacked him this season, we've already seen the examples of um, Southampton and Leeds. They couldn't go pluck managers from La Liga or 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 Holland, and especially in um, Leeds' case and. Uh, Southampton couldn't even hire a manager who was recently sacked by Leeds (laughs) so yeah you might as well rock with Gary O'Neill because unless you are committing to getting Sam Allardyce um, etc there's seemingly no options that would be ideal in that situation so if you at least leave it till, till the summer then you can address it in a more professional well thought out manner as well so if you go down at least you can then start this new is it Golden Knights the Cold project? Um so yeah, it's it I think O'Neill's probably done enough to get towards the end of the season and from I mean mm. that'd benefit both the club and himself and give him the um give him the championship um season to begin with. But anywho, let's get into the game itself. I mean wh- where is this one and won and lost? I mean, we are obviously the better team, but as I mentioned towards the start, our away form is stanky. Um, and that has to improve for us to get top four but it is bomb if their home form is terrible as we mentioned as well where, where do we hurt these and is it just simple as our forward line is very very good <laughs> I hope it's that easy <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> I mean look you look at our away form we have not at any point this season across all competitions or solely in the Premier League managed to go three away games and not lose which is stupid and rubbish and an anomaly in recent seasons but it's also very very sort of emblematic of this year as a whole we've had no consistency we've really struggled with all the things we've spoken about but like energy and all that kind of thing and when you are Liverpool and you are the away team the home crowd and the home team are always up for it that's like a a fundamental of playing for Liverpool so if you can't match that energy from the stands and from the players on the pitch who are really up for playing against you, you're not going to win, many. That's It's rubbish, but that's how it is. Liverpool have to be up for it, and Liverpool have to quiet the crowd, and Liverpool have to do all those really, really basic stuff, but which is actually part of every single game when you play away in the Premier League. So our last two have been a win over Newcastle, and that rubbish, boring draw with Crystal Palace. So we're looking to break new ground here with a win or... I suppose if we, if we draw against Bournemouth, we'll still get the three in a row um, unbeaten. But really, we, we we need to be putting together a good run now away from home as well. It's it's all about that consistency that we showed, and I think for Liverpool, the only way to do that, same as it has been for a long, long time, is to attack. Uh, under Klopp's best couple of years, let's say when we were winning everything, we could sit back and defend a bit more and then hit teams on the counter. But I think it's fair to say we haven't been that good defensively this season as a whole. Whether that's defending high at the pitch or whether that is defending our own penalty box. We've had so many ridiculous errors and we've had bad, bad moments of concentration and decision-making and stupidity and all the rest of that stuff. So we have to attack. We have to guard against the transitions and counters and all the stuff that we should do anyway. But also, if you look at the last few Premier League matches... In a row. Obviously we've got five clean sheets now. We've got six clean sheets in the last seven games. Some of those are an aberration. You can't just say it's five clean sheets and therefore we've defended brilliantly because we know we haven't. We got quite lucky mm-hmm. against Newcastle. Palace hit the woodwork as well. Uh United Even United had a couple of chances. Yeah, they had a couple of chances. I didn't really think United had any good chances of scoring other than I think it was Fernandez at the back post with the diving header. That was the only real... Thing. Yeah,
2: and no, I think the other ones were like offside, yeah, weren't like exactly. the Rashford ball from Shaw, I think that was one of them tight offside, yeah. wasn't it? So so, I, I yeah. wasn't really
3: agreeing with what the United bleaters went on about after the match, about they had the better of the first half and loads of chances and stuff. They, they didn't. That's just a lie and trying to deflect away from how shit they were second half. But anyway, <laughs> <coughs> defensively for Liverpool, we need to be looking at another clean sheet here, first and foremost, I think. Um, I don't want to keep going on about the same thing but we do need some of that energy and excitement and all the rest of it that we had against United and the start of the match against Real and so on we're not necessarily going to get to those levels because it's away normal Saturday Premier League blah 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 but we still need some of it we still need some of that from the attack at the very least so the quicker we play the better our short-range combinations are the better our switches of play and Trent has been really good at those again the last couple of weeks some of his Switches playing against Man United were ridiculous, like left footers out, mm. Andy roller, and everything. So the more of that that we get, the more movement that we have in the final third, the better chance we've got of winning this game. It's 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 not groundbreaking stuff, but it's what you need to break down teams who are going to sit deep against you. You have to have speed of play, you have to have movement, and obviously match the physicality and the, and the actual energy that they put into the match because. You can bet that they'll come out again, and you know, have sort of talk themselves into. Oh, we played really well against Arsenal. We we lost, and it's circumstantial, but they're top of the league. We deserve something out of that game. Let's go out and do the same again against Liverpool. So they'll they'll come out pretty much all guns blazing, I would imagine, for for the first few minutes. That's up to us to get control of the game very quickly. And after that, yes, exactly what you say. We have better forwards than them. We have better players than them, and you have to make that count.
2: We absolutely do. We absolutely do. I think Nigel just said in there, said there in chat, a draw is basically a loss, and I agree. Yeah. Draws are the spawn of the devil. Um, so, predictions for this one, Carl. Obviously, it's a half-twelve kickoff as well, just a p- potential weekend ruin a nice and early. No, no. No, no <laughs> ruining this
3: weekend whatsoever. I, I, had, I had handcuffs on for the last game. I wanted to go big, and I wasn't allowed. I should have listened to myself and gone big. So, I'm not going to go 9-0 big because I think beating the same team 9-0 in a row, uh, twice in a row in the same season is just mean. And obviously that would be 16 goals in two matches and I don't think that that's particularly likely. See, I'm getting warned in the chat again here. Careful, careful. I think Liverpool are going to spank them. I don't necessarily think it's going to be as one-sided as the scoreline would suggest or as easy or anything like that, but I think the confidence is starting to go through this attacking side now. I think we're starting to see the combination play be much, much better. I think the, let's say, play from Harvey Elliott as the right-hand side is is offering a bit more in the final third now. I think Gakpo's movement in in deeper areas is going to be very, very important.
2: I'm going to go 4-0. I like it. I like it. I take four 0 right now. It'd be nice. <laughs> I'd take a one nil right now, and it'd be nice. But no half twelve kickoffs are just—I hate them so much. So any any positive result would do me. So I'll say a horrendous two-one game because they always are at half twelve for some reason. Um, yeah. So that is it from us, Carl. Obviously, we had the pod yesterday. But anything planned in terms of plugs coming coming out this week?
3: Um written wise yes a uh, big piece on Salah this morning i think it was published mohamed salah and his goals and where he sits among other very very good footballers in in the Premier league mm-hmm. history um there's also the piece from the weekend on our defensive work and pieces on newcastle and arsenal if you like to read about other teams um i don't think i'll be doing any more podcasts this week because i'm a busy bee I'll be back next week for all the usual stuff leading up to real madrid and so on and so forth and I will leave you with the final prediction that this weekend Liverpool will be
2: fourth. Ooh, ooh! Let's look at the title. Let's look at the Premier League table. So we'd need Spurs to lose not basically. Who they? ah? Is it is it in Spurs or at ah, Norwich? It's in Spurs Forest. and Forest are going to beat them. Ooh, ooh! It's brave. It's bold. I want to live in your universe here, uh, <laughs> Carl. Let's go. Uh, yeah let's get it, fuck Tottenham um, I agree um, plugs from me, I'll be uh, covering Nina on the Saturday uh, unless Liverpool news breaks I may do a daily red, but I am not clicking the Echo website, lads. It's it's a heart. I'm not reading that John Henry thing on there. It is awful, that website. (laughs) Um, But that is it from me. I will probably be next on Saturday on here for Discord as well. So do join us there. Thank you, everyone, for listening, especially the uh, people in Discord. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index
1: show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically